So, here we are again. Here we are again. If you've got your Bibles with you, won't you please take them out and let's turn to the book that we have been looking at for the last year since the inception of the church, Book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and today we'll be looking at verse 22. Philippians 1, verse 22. But before I read what that uh, verse is, the last two weeks we spent time looking at the previous verse, verse 21, which is an all-time favorite, and I'm sure we all acquainted with it, we know about it, and it says that Paul writes, and he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is Paul writing whilst he's in prison trying to encourage the church in, in Philippi. And in those, we spent two weeks. The first week we looked at what it meant to, when he says that for me to live is Christ. We try to understand what that means to us or for us now as, as Christians in this world. And then the second week, we looked at that and um, focused on what it meant when he said that to die is gain. We tried to understand what the, this simple yet very profound um, scripture means for us as followers of Christ. So I'm just going to quickly summarize those two, uh, the two Sundays. And then we'll look at verse 22 this morning. So, um, we learned that as Paul said, to live is Christ. What does that actually mean for you and I today? It means that we proclaim the gospel of Christ at every opportunity granted to us. To live for me, Paul says, is Christ. And so it should be for us. I made the statement that as Christians... We often overlook that first statement, to, for me to live is Christ. We kind of look at the end of that uh, scripture, which says to gain is, um, death is gain. It's more, you, you, what does it say? To die is gain, forgive me. We look at that more, we focus on that. And the reason for that is because I said, it's, we are looking forward to what's to come. We know that in heaven we won't have the troubles that we have here on earth. We know in heaven we'll be with Jesus. We won't need faith as we need it today. And I said, actually, for us who are on earth, Christians, followers of Christ, we should look at the first part, saying that for me to live is Christ. That should be our, our, almost our um, overarching scripture for our lives. As we live every day, we are geared up to live for Christ. And so we look for opportunities to proclaim his gospel as the, the day um, is given to us. It also means that we pursue the knowledge of Christ, to know him more, to know him more. Not just facts about him, not that he turned water into wine, 
Not that he was able to heal a lady who was, um, uh, had a disease for 12 years or was bleeding for 12 years. No, no. Those are good and we get to learn from that. But actually we get to know him for who he is. His character, his love, his abilities, all those things. To live as Christ means that we are willing to give up anything that prevents us from having Christ as our foundation, as our number one. We are willing. Notice the word willing. Because he doesn't force us. But we are, we are willing to uh, remove anything, to give up anything that would prevent him being number one in our lives. To live as Christ means that our focus is Christ. That he is our goal and our chief desire. Everything about us becomes about him. Everything we long for, everything we want to be is about him. Then to live is Christ becomes a whole um, uh, our lifestyle because we are looking to him. What does it mean for me to live as Christ? I wake up every day and I'm looking for opportunity. I'm saying, God, thank you for this day. How can I glorify you? How can I get to know you more today? Yes, thank you for yesterday and what I've learned and how I've, what I've come through. But today is a brand new day. He says it gives us new mercies every day for us to live each day. So how do I get to know you more? How do I get to uh, glorify you? How do I get to make you my number one today? And then we worry about it again tomorrow. If he allows us the next day, so it carries on. Every day we're looking for opportunity to make him number one. We also learn that what it means when Paul says to die is gain. And he says this because of what we are going to be released from when we leave this earth. Paul was looking forward to what he will be faced with. He will leave this world that has disease, that has turmoil, that has all sorts of things that we know about. The troubles that we face, we will no longer have those. So when we leave this world, we are faced in uh, Christ face to face. And that's a glorious, glorious um, thing to look forward to. To die is gain because of what is there. What we are going to experience what we are going to have when we get to heaven. We cannot imagine, we cannot, our minds are too small to compute, to understand that which he has in store for us. One day. So Paul could confidently say, whilst he's in prison, shackled, that for me, while I'm in prison, to live is gain. How does, how, how does this work for me? I'm going to look for opportunity now in my prison state that I may give God the glory. And in this situation, I'm going to make him number one. And then he, could, he would say that to die is gain. Because guess what? I'm going to leave all of this troubled world. I'm going to leave these things that I, I, I cannot understand. The darkness that I cannot understand. And I'm going to be faced, face to face with my king. My maker, the one that I'm living for. 
And then today we look at Philippians 1.22. And this is what it says. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Another translation puts it this way. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. So Paul is in this two, two uh, he, he's divided. He's divided. But we'll understand why he was divided. See, verse 21, Paul gave his outlook on life and also his perspective on death. He had an excellent viewpoint on both. The apostle had a win-win um, view of both life and death. If he lived, he lived for Christ. If he died, he would meet Jesus face to face. The reality is Jesus not only changes our outlook on life currently, but he also changes our perspective on death. So for you and I who are still alive, who are wrapped up in his mercy and, and he's granted us the, the joy of this life, he does not only give us perspective on life currently, but he also helps us to have a different perspective on the day that we leave this earth we look forward to death with anticipation. It's a hard statement to make. Who's looking forward to death with anticipation, with happiness, with joy? I'll be honest, I'm not. <laughs> if I've got to be honest, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not. Actually, I'm, because I think of the things I'm going to leave behind or whatever the case might be. I said, for me, when I do die, it will be gain. And it will be the same for you, as Paul said to us. But it will be a great loss for the ones that we leave behind. That's the reality. But we look forward to death with anticipation. Not an unhealthy anticipation. Not an unhealthy happiness. Not in a, um, a, a narcissistic kind of outlook of death. We're not looking forward to it. It's not, we are looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ when our time comes. But whilst we help you to enjoy this life that he's given us with everything he has allowed us to have. Only those who have come to Christ and are looking to see him again have such an outlook on death. So for you, if you, uh, you know Christ, you know the promises that he has for you, you're looking forward to the day that you'll leave this earth. Why? Because you get to be with him. You get to be with your creator. But whilst you're still here, you take every opportunity you can to give Him glory, to live for Him, to make Him your number one. In verse 22, 3 to 24, Paul gave his assessment of which of these two alternatives was more critical. Paul was in prison, writing this um, uh, verse. He's, he was in prison, but he was not afraid. He would say to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He compares these two possibilities in verse 22 to 23, life or death. He's faced with it. He's faced, he's either going to get executed or he'll be released and continue living this, uh, on this earth. So he's, he has to face the reality. He's not, you know, ostrich bearing its um, head in the sand. No, no, he's facing reality. You're either going to die or you're going to live. What do you do in the moment? But it didn't worry him too much. He wasn't worried about what would happen if it is God's will that he should be condemned and executed, he's not too troubled. Can you imagine that, eh? Can you imagine that? If it's God's will that you will be executed, not you'll pass away because you got sick and it's easy. No, no, you'll be executed. He's not too worried about that. He knows that if he survives the trial before Caesar, God's purpose in his continued life, is that he should have further opportunity to serve God. He knows that if he's, uh, he gets to continue living, his purpose is to continue serving God. Not to continue making money, not to continue becoming famous, not to continue with the things that kind of just get us going. No, no, his purpose was to continue serving God. So I'd ask us of the same question. Today, what is your purpose? What is your opportunity? What are you looking? How are you looking to magnify God, to make Him number one in your life? And that's a hard statement to make. But why? Because we are selfish, aren't we? We are selfish. We want our way. If I don't get things my way, then this life is not worth living. Uh, this life is worth living a whole lot more when our perspective changes so paul starts in verse 22 he says but if i live on in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor paul looked at the alternative of his continuing to live physically to live on in the flesh in this uh, passage means to continue living in the body quite straightforward. It means that you continue living now. You granted the, the opportunity to continue living now. This is the first part of verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Now, the reality, if we've got to be honest with ourselves as a, as a Christian community, is that very few Christians can say, my life is living for Christ. Very few Christians can say that, including myself. I cannot honestly say that uh, my life is like that of the example Paul set, set for us. That my life is living for Christ. That was Paul's definition of his life. Living for Christ in every, every opportunity that is given to him. With most of us, unfortunately... Most of the Christian world or the Christian life is just somewhat of a hobby. A Christian life is, has become a hobby. It merely occupies the fringe area of our spare time. It occupies the fringe area of our spare time. 
We will not let our Christianity interfere with our life. We will not allow, in some ways, God and His principles and His ways uh, interfere with our lives, interfere with what we want to achieve, interfere with the things that we, are, we think we ought to, to get. We won't allow His character to interfere. We won't necessarily allow His love, His mercy, His passion for us to interfere with, the, with our lives. We practice Christianity on a Sunday morning, but make it marginal the rest of the week. And I don't speak to you and not myself. I speak to me, us, and the Christian community at large. There's some perspective that needs to change in our, in our Christian understanding. If Christ is for me, who can be against me? We understand that and we live, we, we, we understand and, and take the hold of that word. But do we live our lives to echo those words? That if Christ is for me, he is everything, that nothing, I will not let anything prevent me from knowing him even more. Even more. And this is not a, um, a uh, legalistic statement. It's not like if you don't do this or God's going to put... No, no, because when you fall in love with your maker, man, he changes your outlook of life. You cannot help but want to spend time with him. You cannot help but want to be, be directed by him. You cannot help but not want to displease him. And this was Paul's life. Even in prison, in the depths of the, the worst of the worst as it were, a place where he would be faced with a a possible execution. He was still looking for opportunity to glorify King Jesus. And guess what? God gives us life. God gives us means. He gives us the ability to be together. He doesn't give those things to us and tell us, oh, I've given you that, but don't touch. No, he gives these things to us and says, enjoy. Enjoy the life I've given to you. But while you enjoy it, please remember me. Please remember me, your maker. Please remember me, your giver of life. Don't neglect me for the things that I've given you. Don't neglect me for the ability that I've given you. Keep me first. I made a statement a week or two ago, and I said, um, in the Old Testament, Jesus would say, uh, God would say that, um, be careful not to allow the things that I've given you to become your idols. I will have, you will have no other God other than me. He gives you stuff. He gives you people. He gives you abilities. Don't make those things number one in your life. Make him number one. And those things just kind of happen. And then you get to enjoy them even more. He continues in the scripture and he says, Yet what shall I, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. So it starts off by saying, but if I live um, in the flesh, this will mean fruit from our labor. Fruit from our labor. So there's labor. So there's work that Paul is anticipating. He's not just lazy sitting in prison waiting for this trial. No, there's work. What is the work? He wants to, to be found in Christ. He wants to be found with every opportunity that comes his way. And he's looking at every way that he can to uh, glorify God. 
Then he says, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Paul was in a quandary. He was found in a dilemma. He was um, in a predicament in this situation. If he lived, he won. Wow. How's that? If I live, I'm winning. How's your life today? Are you winning because you're alive or not? <laughs> if, he, if he lived whilst in prison, he says, I am a winner. If he died, he won. He had a win-win viewpoint on his life. So whether he lived or whether he died, either which way, he will win. What a perspective. This was a, a, a dilemma, a, a predicament between two wins. Between two wins. So whether you, whether you are alive on earth, whether you are found wherever you are found, you are still uh, in God's presence. You're still in God's um, um, ways. You're still geared to His way. And that's a win in itself. But if He decides that today is your day, your last day on earth, and guess what? It's, it's even more of a win because you'll be face to face with your Creator. Face to face with your Creator. Yes, we look forward to that, but we mustn't look forward to that so much at the expense that we neglect the work that we are called to, the, the life that is given us here on earth. So I'm not saying let's look forward to death at the expense of uh, the current life that we have. The two alternatives were whether he should continue his work in time or see Jesus in eternity. A person who is not deeply in love with the Lord, Jesus, would view this statement, to die is gain, as a very odd statement. The Christian would view that as a very odd statement. If you've got to look at your heart and ask yourself, do you view that as a, as a, as a, as a truthful statement in your, in your life? To die for you is gain. If Jesus is not, you're not deeply in love with him, it's an odd statement to be made. But a reflection of the quality of our spiritual life is how we anticipate eternity. See, the beautiful thing is that God keeps his people alive until their work is done on earth. As long as we are not rebellious and out of his will, he will keep us alive until his work is done. Our work is done in our lives here on earth. If God keeps Paul alive, it is for a purpose. If God continues to keep you alive here on earth, you who uh, he calls your, um, his child... It's for a purpose. Paul would prefer to go to heaven, as we'll see in verse 23, but he would also like to continue serving Christ some more. Even in prison, he is pulled in two directions, and there are, there are advantages either way. Yet he thinks... He is not going to die. If you will carry on reading. He, Paul was, de- he, he was determined that he wasn't going to die. He, he, he um, was expecting that he would be released out of this uh, prison that he was in. The Philippian church that he was writing to still need him. They still needed his input. 
And Paul, as he wrote the letter, he, he was thinking about the matter further. He saw that if it was necessary for him to survive. Why? Because there was more work to be done. More work to be done. But guess what? This work, I know, in my head, I think there's more work to be done. I think to myself, man, I don't want to work more. <laughs> but this work is not work under his um, leadership, under his banner, under his grace. This work, this, it's not laborsome as we understand work to be. This work that God has created for us to do is a joyful work. It's a joyful accomplishment that he gives for us to achieve. In Ephesians, he would say that he has prepared good works for all of us to walk into. And if he's prepared it, that means he's given us the means to be able to achieve that, work, that, that good work. Not in our own strength, but in his strength. And the reality for us as Christians is probably a correlation between how we live now for Christ and our anticipation of eternity. On a descending scale, if we do not live for Christ, meeting him in eternity is actually of little value. It's actually of little value as well. If we don't live for Christ as we ought to, the notion or the thought of meeting him in eternity is actually not very, doesn't hold much weight. It doesn't, it doesn't excite us as it ought to. But there's only one way that you can fix that. You cannot fix it in your own power. You cannot fix it in your own understanding. You cannot fix it in your own effort. You can only fix it by yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit, to Him who has given you life. When you allow Him to take over, when you allow Him to permeate, to, to infiltrate through every part of your life, then you start living for Him and your life becomes even more fulfilled. And then when you read this script, these scriptures, like to die is gain, man, it holds so much weight. There's so much value to it. It's not just some statement that some Christian made to try and encourage us because he was bored in prison. It's the reality. Living and dying in Christian values are linked together. We often separate them, don't we? But they're actually linked together. How we live today will determine our excitement of our when we go, when we leave this earth. We will look forward to being with Christ. Dying will be gain to all Christians. The reality is, whether you live for Christ wholeheartedly here or not, dying will be gain for you. For you. But you will not be able to appreciate the, that until eternity. In other words, dying will be gain to those Christians who do not live for Christ fully 
but they will not be able to appreciate it until eternity. So it will be gain. When you're saved on earth, it will be gain when you get to heaven. But if you live your life in a mediocre way here on earth, you won't appreciate the truth of it will be gain when you get to heaven currently. But for you who is sold up to, to him, and remember, not just by, by works, not just by deeds, but person, everything about you, it will be a major, major gain when you, when you do leave this earth. Faith enables us to participate in the future. I'm hoping I'm, it's not too heavy. Death is, a, 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 a death is something that we don't necessarily want to think about or even speak about. But death is a reality. Death is a reality for every single one of us. Death is going to be a reality. Whether it's, I suppose when you leave, it becomes a, even more of a reality when you are in, in heaven. But the ones that you leave behind, or someone leaves, dies and leaves you behind, it's a reality. We are faced with it. But how we, we um, our viewpoint of both life while we are here and life after death has to, the perspective needs to change if it's not right, if it's not according to Christ and his um, ways. A spiritual Christian with the right sense of expectancy always faces a quandary, always faces a um, predicament between two positive alternatives. So this morning I ask, do you fear death? You can lie to me. <laughs> you can lie to you. You can even lie to yourself. But if you search deep inside, do you honestly fear death? We, the trouble is we always fear the thing we do not know. We have not experienced death. Therefore, we fear it. Yes, the Bible promises us amazing stuff after death, but we haven't experienced that. We don't, like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Is it true? Is it not true? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a tension in our minds. Is, it, is this what I'm, I'm believing for going to be a reality or not? Remember on this earth, we need faith. It's by faith that you're saved. And so by faith, you believe what God has promised. That when it says that to be absent from the body is present with Jesus. That's a faith statement. It's a faith statement. And the more real Jesus is to us in time, the less we fear. The less we fear. The more Jesus is alive to us in reality now the less we will fear. And then we will have a different outlook on eternity. If we know Jesus in time, knowing him in eternity is just an extension of fellowship with him. It's just an extension of fellowship with him. For every single Christian on the planet of the, of the earth, face of the earth will face this 
death. But for us who serve him, us who are his children, it will be a glorious, glorious uh, place to be found. Jesus is alive. He has promised us great things. And I would imagine that you has, he has done amazing stuff for you. And, and like I said, we need not be regretful with the stuff that he's given us, the life he has allowed us to have. In fact, he wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to live our, life, our best life yet. But as we do that, he wants us to remember him. He wants us to honor him. He wants us to glorify him through the things and through the life that he's given you. Remember, he holds you in the palm of his hands. So for Paul, he doesn't know. Does he stay or does he go? Does he, does he want to be executed because he'll be with Jesus? That's far better, it will say later on. It's far better for him to be with Christ in heaven than for him to remain. But he says, actually, there's, there's work to be done. There's stuff that Jesus has prepared for me whilst I'm here on earth. And I want to see those things come to pass. So for you this morning, if God is keeping you alive, he has a purpose for you still. And that's an exciting thing. Can I ask us to close our eyes? Father, thank you for this life. Thank you for this amazing life, God, that you have granted us or granted to us. We consider it, Lord, a privilege to be alive. And Father, I pray for me, I pray for us all, I pray for the Christian world today, Lord, that this statement that Paul made would be true. That as we live, uh, carry on living on in the earth today, God, our lives would be for you. That to live would be Christ. And yes, we'll look forward to the day that we'll meet you face to face. But God, you've given us life now. Help us to live it according to your ways. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have prepared, the works that you have prepared for us. I pray, God, against any, any notion of guilt. But God, help us to enjoy this life. But as we do that, Lord, also help us to, get, to bring it back to you, to give you the glory, to give you the things. And not out of, out of a place of guilt, God, but out of a place of thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your love, and your, and your provision over our lives. Even your faithfulness which we cannot understand. We honor you, we bless you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.